Let's open our Bibles this morning to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21 and 22. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, 21 and 22. And um, before we read the text this morning, um, I want to just um, kind of go back to, I, I became a believer at, in Christ and church camp when I was 15 years old. And I grew up in Pine Bluff, Arkansas, although my kind of stomping grounds was the Whitehall area. That's where I graduated from school. And so uh, whenever I came back to school that year after I was saved, uh, I was a brand new Christian. I, I didn't really know what was going on. I was kind of meeting new friends because all my old friends kind of departed from me. And, and we were having um, just really a different direction in life at that point. And so one of my friends was this young lady who she invited me to her church for a prayer meeting on that Tuesday evening. And so I went and uh, I didn't think there was going to be any harm in it. Well, kind of find out when I got there, we prayed for about five minutes. And then uh, her, her youth pastor, her pastor and another guy from the youth group took me into a room and sat me down on one side of the table while they sat on the other side of the table and come to find out this was a church that believed that you had to be baptized to be saved. And they began to drill me over why I had not been baptized yet and, and why do I not believe that baptism is required for salvation. And I remember in my immaturity, I, I, the answer I only really knew to give was, well, I've never seen a verse that said that uh, baptism has to be done in order for you to be saved. And that's when he pointed me, he said, well, what about 1 Peter 3.21? And that's the verse we're gonna look at this morning. Let's read together 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. And here's what it says. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So he said, what about 1 Peter 3.21? Now, I mean, it says right there, Peter says, now baptism saves you. And I gotta be honest with you, that shook me. Now, I, I left and, and I never really went back to their church because I didn't appreciate the ambush. But I gotta be honest with you, that, that did shake me. And I went back and I read that verse over and over and over again. And then there were several times and, and I finally just decided at one point just to trust my pastors and say, well, you know, they say that baptism's not required. This verse seems to say it is. I'm just gonna trust them that there's probably some interpretation or something that I'm not getting. But I gotta be honest with you, that really wasn't enough. And for years, that kind of bothered me. And so every time I would come across this verse, in fact, uh, one of my early attempts to preach through a book of the Bible was 1 Peter, and, and I, I kind of skipped over that passage because I didn't want to have to deal with it. But I was too afraid to ask the question of my youth pastor. Don't know why. I guess maybe I didn't want him to think I was too confused. But, but it wasn't until later when I matured in the scriptures that I began to realize that number one, this verse is not teaching what they say that it teaches, okay? Now, now I'm gonna be honest with you. I am gonna challenge you a little bit this morning, but it does not say what they say it teaches. And number two, I began to realize that actually this passage is one of the most clear passages for demonstrating what is the place and the purpose of baptism in the Christian life. It's actually the most clear text that you can read. And so this morning, I want us to use our time to, to help us to understand the place and purpose of baptism in the Christian life and hopefully put a renewed emphasis of baptism in our church. I hope you've seen that lately because I've really been convicted of this. And uh, this kind of goes back to... Uh, uh, I'd kind of been thinking about it for a while, and then I took a seminar where baptism was kind of used as a, kind of a test case for hermeneutics and such, and, uh, 
And so, um, and it just really galvanized my conviction so much so that we actually had a, actually sat down with the deacons and we had kind of a Bible study together about it. And it was, it was really good. But really what's happening here is that I've, I've noticed in recent years that there has been kind of a de-emphasis in baptism in evangelical churches. And, and I think one reason why is because we are so concerned to emphasize that, yes, you can be saved. You can know Christ apart from baptism. That is absolutely certain. I mean, think of the thief on the cross. Think of, think of I don't know, every saved person prior to Christ. I mean, just think about all of those ones who have been saved apart from baptism. And so, but I think we're so concerned about not wanting to communicate that baptism is required that we've kind of gone the opposite extreme and we've started de-emphasizing it started de-emphasizing it to where it's actually quite normal today to run across Christians who claim the name of Christ and yet they have never been baptized and they have no desire to. And so that's where, that is what I think we need to correct. And so what I, what I wanna get to this morning is that if, 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 that if this is a command that Jesus gave us, then it is something that it's not just something that, well, I'll do it if I, if I ever get around to it. But it's something that Jesus commanded, and it is what he commanded us to teach. And so in 1 Peter 3, 21 and 22, first Peter says something very different this morning. I mean, look at these words again. He says flat out, baptism now saves you. Beloved, that is not my words. I would be hesitant to say those words if it were not right here in the text. And so this is gonna be a little challenging this morning. But what I want you to see is that Peter shows us in this text that baptism is the defining sign of our conversion. And it is, we need to get back to emphasizing it in our ministry. We need to get back to emphasizing it. So it's what identifies us as a Christian. That's why, that's why we require at Calvary that you must be baptized to be a member because without baptism, we don't know that you're a Christian. I mean, how do we know? We don't know. And so not biblically anyway. And so 1 Peter 3.21 is telling us that baptism is the defining sign of our conversion, and he's gonna do it. How does he say that baptism saves us? He says it's associated with three aspects of our conversion that we're gonna look at this morning. And so beginning in verse 21, he says this. He says, baptism, which corresponds to this. Now, as we read that text, one of the first questions that should have come to your mind is this, is that what is the this that Peter is saying that baptism corresponds to? And as you look back at verses 18 through 22, this is a text that is probably one of the most difficult texts in the New Testament because there's all kinds of questions that it brings up. And unfortunately, we don't have um, the time to really answer all of those questions this morning. But what it is gonna do is that he's gonna point back in verse 19 to an event that we all know in Genesis chapter six, verse, uh, verse, uh, chapter six through nine, and that is Noah's flood. And when God destroyed the earth, but saved six, uh, excuse me, eight people, Noah and his family, they were carried safely through the flood. Why is he bringing this up? Because as you read the letter of 1 Peter, he is saying time and time and time again that the day of visitation is coming, that the end of all things is near. And he even quotes the Old Testament, several texts. Uh, for example, he quotes Psalm 34, verses 12 through 16, and Isaiah chapter 8, verse 13 and following. Both of those texts show, and, and I'm not gonna read them, just uh, you might wanna write them down, but both of those texts show that when the, when the day of the Lord comes, that when the day of his wrath comes, the ones who are going to survive are those who fear the Lord and those who walk according to his righteousness. Basically, it is only God's saints who are going to survive when God judges the earth. And beloved, there's only been one other time that God has judged the entire earth, and when was it? It was the flood, right? 
And so naturally, he brings this up and he says, corresponding to this, just like the first time that God destroyed the entire earth and yet he brought eight people safely through it, through the use of water. He is now saying, now just like that, baptism corresponds to that message. In other words, baptism corresponds to God's judgment on sin. Baptism corresponds to death, to death. In fact, you know Romans 6.23, don't you? For the wages of sin is what? Death, right? Now, the free gift of God is eternal life. But for our purposes, that first phrase, the wages of sin is death. And this is the illustration of baptism. It is a picture of death. It is a picture of death. You know, sometimes when I was a kid, uh, we would go to the public swim pool. It's a Buttram swim pool in Pine Bluff. Uh, You remember that? Yeah, you remember that. So it was a great pool. And I was, uh, I was probably eight or nine years old. And uh, I remember my friend taught me what is called the dead man's float. You know what the dead man float is? The dead man float is when you basically float on top of the water, but you're face down, right? So you can't breathe. And you're just kind of floating there like this. And so I wanted to scare the lifeguards. And so I decided to do the dead man float. And I waited and I waited, and I waited. No one ever came. I don't know what in the world I did to those lifeguards, but no one ever came. But you know, after a while, I began to discover something. I began to discover that if I pretend I drown for too long, I'm not pretending anymore. <laughs> and, and I got out of the water, and of course, then I discovered that more than likely, um, more than likely, they just kind of assume, well, if he's really dead, he won't come out and then I'll get him. So, And that's why this correspondence is important because we've often taught that water symbolizes the burial of Christ and that kind of works in our culture because we bury underground. They, they actually didn't do that when this, time, when this text was written. But here's the thing, it's, it's not what Peter's getting at here. What happened to everyone else in the flood other than Noah and his family? What happened? They drowned. And you see the water of baptism. Baptism represents God's judgment through death because water kills. Water kills. That's why, by the way, that's why I believe so strongly in immersion. That's why I believe that proper baptism is only through immersion. All the evidence of scripture points that that's the mode, you know, Jesus came up out of the water and all this. But look at the, look at the imagery here. Listen, when, if, if, if someone were to come up and to be baptized and when I put them under the water, they are facing death. What would happen if I kept them under what? Now, I've never done it before, but... But what would happen if I kept them under the water? What would happen? They would die. And so every time you go in the baptismal waters, beloved, you are facing death. And that's why we say, Romans chapter six says that when you are baptized, you are baptized into his death. Because every time you face the water, you are facing the prospect of dying. Sprinkling water on top of your head or even pouring for that matter does not accomplish that. I can sprinkle water over your head all day long. There's no threat there. But if I hold you under water, there's a threat, isn't there? And so that's why we believe in immersion. That's why we believe so strongly in it, so much so that we do not accept a baptism that is by any other mode than immersion except under the most rare of circumstances. That's what the early church did, and that's what I believe we do. So if you have not been baptized by full immersion, beloved, it's crucial that you do so because of that correspondence. It corresponds to the death of Jesus Christ and to the death of the believer, but it goes on that. Not only it's correspondence, but because baptism is our confession. 
Baptism is our confession. Look what he goes on to say. Baptism, which corresponds to this, we talked about that, he says, now saves you. Not as the removal of dirt from the body, which by the way, if we're not talking about immersion, how can it do that? But anyway, that's beyond the point. So not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Let's stop right there for a minute. What is Peter talking about here? This is where he is really going to clarify. What do we mean when we say that baptism now saves us? Notice what he does not mean, what he's not talking about. He says, not as the removal of dirt from the body. In other words, we're not talking about the act of getting into the water. That is not what saves you. And Peter is making that very clear. The pagan religions of that day, and even the Jewish for that matter, they had ritual washings that were considered to be magical. And and when you would go through these washings, you were considered to be washed by your pagan God. And, And that put you in good company. That put you in a good conscience with that God. But Peter is 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 clarifying that that is not what we're talking about here. There's nothing magical that happens in the water. There's nothing uh, automatic that happens when you walk into the water. It is the, it's not the act of going into the water that saves you, but it is the appeal to God for a good conscience, forgiveness of sins, and his righteousness placed on us. That is what saves you. It is appealing to God, forgiveness of his sins, of your sins, excuse me. Forgiveness of your sins and his righteousness being placed on us. Therefore, the only provision that, that, that God has made on earth to rescue his righteous ones is the provision that he has given us in Jesus Christ. In fact, as you look through this, as this, this paragraph, I want you to notice something, that in verse 18, it begins. In fact, look at verse 18, look what it says. It says for, let me get there. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And then we get to verse 19 and 20 that I can't get into today. But as he goes down, look in verse 21, it says at the very end, it says through the resurrection of Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God. Do you notice that this paragraph summarizes the, the work of Christ that purchased our salvation? Do you notice that? That's the provision that God gave us to be saved. And the question is, how do we confess it? How do we show that? You know, this is where those who believe in baptismal regeneration, which is a fancy $3 word of saying that it's the act of baptism that saves you, okay? It removes original sin or whatever the case may be. This is the mistake they make, is that there's nothing magical in the water. It's not the act of going down into the water, but it is the appeal that is being made to God for a good conscience. By the way, infants can't do that. Do you see that? Infants can't do that. And so what saves you is not the act of going to the water, but what saves you is the appeal that is made in the water. It's the appeal to God for a good conscience. And all through 1 Peter, again, what's he been doing? He's been saying that when the end of the world comes, all of the suffering, endure that you, uh, because when it all comes and when the world is judged, it is God's righteous ones who will survive. Here's the problem. Who among us is righteous? None. Not in ourself, Right? We need the very grace of God. We need this provision that he's given us. And God has only given us this one provision that we are made righteous. And when we go into the water, we are saying, God, I am appealing to you for forgiveness of my sins so that his righteousness can be placed on me, that I am believing in Christ alone through faith alone. And that is what saves. But the context, the sign 
of that is baptism. It's baptism. This is the provision of our salvation, faith alone and Christ alone. But what is the first expression of that faith? It's baptism. So that's, beloved, baptism is a gift that God has given us. And there's other passages in scripture that equate baptism with confession. Most notably, look at Acts chapter 22, verse 16. This is Paul speaking, talking about his conversion. And he says, I should have it on the board, right? Acts 22, 16. It says, and now, and he's quoting Ananias here. Now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Watch this, calling on his name. You see that equation with baptism with the act of calling on his name, right? So is it going down in the water that's saving him? No, no, it's not. What is saving him? The calling on his name. But where's it being done? It's being done in baptism. Uh, most famously, Acts chapter eight, verse 36. You remember this, the Ethiopian eunuch, right? He's, uh, he's reading, talk about the perfect setup. He's reading Isaiah 53 and Philip uh, comes to him and expresses the gospel and he comes to believe it. And what's the first question he asks? As they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And what do they do? They stop and they're baptized. It's the expression of that, it's the expression of that faith. Baptism is the expression of our faith in Christ. Let me give you a good example of this, just, just to kind of wrap your minds around what I'm saying, because please understand me again. I'm not saying that the act of baptism saves you and that if you go to Christ, if you go to heaven without baptism, you still have Christ, okay? I fully believe that. If you're making baptism what saves you, then that's a work salvation. There's no way to get around that. But think about this for a moment. When, when Roxanne and I were married, um, we went, I, I grabbed all my stuff, my family and I, I had the easy job. You know, we went out for a lazy breakfast and with my family and had a, you know, and I think we were, I think we were married like at two o'clock and man, I had a nice relaxing day. She was at the hairdresser at like 4.30 that morning. So I think she got the raw end of the deal. And I still think that 21 years later with the raw end of the deal. But anyway, <laughs> but, uh, but when I got to the church, the one job I had was to remember to bring the wedding rings. And guess what I forgot? I forgot the wedding rings, right? And so thankfully, my apartment was only like five minutes. Have I ever told you this? Maybe not. So uh, anyway, <laughs> um, so thankfully, my apartment was only like five minutes away from the church. And so uh, one of my buddies went and got the wedding rings for me and he brought them back and, and crisis averted. But, but during the ceremony, as I pronounced my vows to Roxanne, she pronounced her vows to me, what did we do? The expression of those vows and the sign and the seal of those vows were what? We placed rings on one another, right? So let me ask you a question. I'm no longer married, Right? No, in fact, this is like my fourth wedding ring. I've lost three of them. <laughs> but I'm not on my fourth marriage, right? <laughs> and so this ring is the sign. It is the seal. It is the testimony. And it is the, um, the, the confirmation that I am married. And so... When I take it off, that doesn't take away my marriage. And if I had not, you know, let's say I lived an hour and away and I, I couldn't go get the rings, would we have still been married that day? Yes. But something would have been missing, right? That sign, that seal. Every day I look at that ring and I remember that I am married. And you know what? There are times when I am tempted to sin, that I am under heavy conviction and I look back to my baptism and I remember I came out of that water a new person. Now, I wasn't baptized until six months after I was saved, which is inappropriate, but in my immaturity, that's what happened. If I died in that six months, I, I still had Christ, right? But that baptism made a world of difference. 
at a world of difference for me. It's that anchor point that I look back to. And that's why I believe, beloved, in the same way, baptism is an appeal to God for a good conscience. Getting into the water doesn't save you, but it's a sign of your salvation. It's the seal of your salvation, the testimony of your salvation, and the confirmation of your salvation. That's what it does. And beloved, in my, in my study of this in scripture last year, I've become really convicted that in here at Calvary, we need to come back to a, not that we ever really left it, but I think we can do better, to a high view of baptism in our church. I hope you've already noticed that. I try to mention it every Sunday, that if you, if you need to be baptized, you need to do it. You need to do it. It is our appeal to God for a good conscience. It is the way in which we confess our faith. And we can't let those who misunderstand baptism as the way to salvation take away from us to be obedient to Scripture and stresses what it stress. I think I said that backwards, but you get the point. We can't let those who, who, uh, who butcher doctrine scare us away from good Bible doctrine. We can't let that happen. We teach, we clarify, and we make sure you understand. But we don't back away from it because we're afraid of misunderstanding. We, we trust the Holy Spirit to teach your hearts the truth. And we make it as clear as we can. Let me, let me appeal to your judgment for a moment. Uh, I know for me, for many years, one reason why I kind of de-emphasized baptism was because I was, I was so afraid of giving the impression is what baptism saves you, okay? I was so afraid of that. And so I would, I would never include baptism as a response, as a proper response to the gospel. But that didn't stop me from telling people to do things in response to the gospel. Have you ever noticed that? You see, you see when we de-emphasize baptism, we, we, we don't stop telling people to respond in a certain way. We just tell them to do other things. Walk an aisle, pray a prayer, raise a hand, fill out a card. Um, I mean, there's a whole list of stuff. And here's the thing, none of those are wrong in and of themselves. None of those are bad in and of themselves, but none of them are what Jesus told us to do. Jesus said, be baptized. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, what do you say? This was our scripture reading. Repent and what? Be baptized. Peter again is saying here, Paul says, be baptized. There's, there, none of, there's nothing wrong with those other things. And for logistic reasons, yes, we need to continue them. But not at the expense of teaching baptism. Not at the expense of emphasizing Baptism. Beloved, we are Baptist. Our name comes from this right. And yet it's so sad that most often, if I'm in a room and 100 Christians, the group that is most likely to de-emphasize baptism are Baptist. And that's sad to me. That's sad. It's like we're afraid to talk about it. Our Baptist forefathers were imprisoned, beaten, had their property confiscated, even died for their view of baptism. I mean, I mean, in the old days, Scottish Presbyterians and Baptists were like kissing cousins. They basically believed the same thing except baptism. And yet, guess what? The Baptists went to jail. They went into the Pilgrim's Progress, written by one of the greatest devotional Baptist writers, John Bunyan. He wrote that in prison. Why? Because of his view of baptism, he would not back down from it. And think about, and think about here in Acts chapter 2, that when Peter said, repent and be baptized for the remission of sin, think about what that meant for everyone who was there. They were right there in the midst of it in Jerusalem. They were confessing their faith in Jesus Christ. 50 days ago, Jesus Christ was crucified. What do you think was going through their mind when they did that? 
And who are we to say, I'll be baptized when it's convenient? I'll be baptized when, you know, it's convenient for me if I get, if I get around to it, I'll be baptized. Beloved, all before then, all who came to Christ publicly declared their faith in Christ publicly through baptism, no matter what the cost. Baptism is not supposed to be convenient. That's one of the reasons why sprinkling became one of the main modes of baptism, because it was convenient. But baptism is not supposed to be convenient. It's hard work. Ask, ask our men. Every time we have a baptism, they have to come here on Saturday. They have to fill up the water. They have to, we have to get here two hours early and put the heater on because we don't want to freeze you to death. And, and I mean, it's, it's inconvenient, but you know what? I'd love to do it every week. Amen? Because baptism is not meant to be convenient. It is our confession of faith. And sometimes confessing faith in Jesus Christ will not be convenient. It will put a target on your back. But that's what we do because we confess Christ before men. And we declare that he, there is one name under heaven by which men must be saved, the name Christ Jesus. And Christ Jesus told us to confess him in baptism. And so that's what we do. Beloved, we must come back to a high view of baptism. Amen? I hope you agree. And I know you haven't had the time to think and meditate on this like I have. I'm kind of I'm hitting you with a ton of bricks this morning. The deacons kind of knew this was coming, so they had a heads up. But we just, we've got to get back to a high view of this. We've got to get back to a high view of this. It is our confession of faith. How? And again, this is where you're gonna see a major difference that it's not just our, what it corresponds to, it is our confession. Why? Because it points to our confidence. It points to our confidence. Look what he goes on to say. He says, not the removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a, for a good conscience. How? Through the water. No, he doesn't say that. What is baptism pointing to? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, it points to the lordship of Christ through his resurrection and ascension. It, 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 that, that's where baptismal regeneration gets this wrong because you see their confidence is in the act of going into the water. And I will say, I, I do appreciate the urgency that they put on it. I, I do appreciate, they, they do. They, they fill that baptistry every week just in case somebody comes forward. And, and you know what? I appreciate that. I really do. I appreciate the urgency. I don't feel that urgency because I think they're wrong on this issue. In fact, I know they are from the scriptures. But here's what I will say, that our confidence is not in the act of going into the water. That is baptismal regeneration. What we are expressing when we go in the water is that our confidence is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what we're expressing. Our confidence is in the right thing. It's in the resurrection of Christ. You can get wet all day long. If you have no faith in Christ, then you're just a rubber duck. That's all you are. That act of baptism does not save you but that act of baptism is our confession in what does save us or who saves us, and that is Jesus Christ. That's why he says, look back at verse 21, baptism now saves you. Peter does not back away from that language, but look what he says, not as a removal of dirt from the body. Don't put your confidence in the water, but put your confidence in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what Paul's getting at in Galatians chapter five, verse two. There was a controversy there. And you remember that they were saying that, you know, this faith alone thing, it's good as far as it goes, but you have to be, you have to be circumcised to complete the act. You have to put your confidence in circumcision. Paul says, no, no. I say to you that if you accept circumcision for doing that, Christ will be of no advantage to you. And beloved, you can put anything in that verse. It'll be true. Anything. 
If you are placing your confidence in baptism, if you are placing your confidence in tongues, if you are placing your confidence in your ability, whatever it is, if you're, do, if you're putting that on top of your faith in Christ and saying, this completes the deal, then Christ is of no benefit to you. You're going to hell. Your faith is wrong. Your confidence is in the wrong thing. Our confidence, beloved, is not in baptism, but it is in the work of Christ on our behalf. And that work for us is complete. How do we know that? Because Christ rose from the dead. Go back to what I said about the water earlier. Baptism corresponds to death. Why? Because water kills. And every time you go in the water, you're facing death. But, and if I left you in the water long enough, you will not survive. But beloved, as long as I've been baptizing, I've never done that. Been tempted to, but I've never, I'm kidding. <laughs> I've never done that. I have told a kid occasionally, I'm gonna hold you down until I see bubbles, but they know I'm joking sometimes. But... I don't hold you down in the water. I lift you back up out of the water. Why? Because Christ was lifted from death to life. Because Christ was resurrected. I've never had a person be afraid that I was gonna hold them down in the water. Why? Because our confidence is even though I am facing death, Christ has risen from the grave and I have eternal life in him. Even if I die in this water today, I have life in Christ. And that's why I've never been afraid to baptize anyone. I've dropped a person a time or two, but I've never been afraid to baptize anyone. Why? Because the life is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's where our confidence is, not the water. Not the water. And again, by the way, Sprinkling doesn't communicate that. Effusion, pouring does not communicate that. Why? How many of you are afraid to get a, I mean, I, I, mean, I guess there is waterboarding, but, but how many of you are afraid to get water poured on your head? There's no fear in that, right? But every time you go in the water, you're facing death. But every time you're baptized, you're lifted out of the water and you're raised to walk in newness of life. We are confessing our confidence in the one who saves us. Christ crucified, risen, and coming again to bring everlasting life to his people. And that life doesn't begin the moment we die. That life began, that new life began the moment we were saved. We have new life in Christ. I had a conversation with someone uh, several years ago and this is one of these guys, uh, kind of more of a fundamentalist background. He, uh, he, uh, he's one of these guys that he has an invitation at the end of every service. I mean, even funerals, you know, uh, he's going to have, if he ever does a funeral, he's going to have an altar call at the end of every service. And, 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 you know, okay. But, uh, we were talking about it and I said, you know, and this is back when we still had a Sunday night service and, and Wednesday night prayer meeting and such. And I said, well, I tend to only do altar calls on, on Sunday morning. And he was like, why? Don't you think that people need to get saved on Sunday night and Wednesday night? I was like, well, do they have to get saved in the altar call? Who, who are you to say that God's means of, of, of bringing people to Christ is invalid? I'm like, hang on a second. God's means? Churches have only been doing altar calls for 200 years, beloved. We have 2,000 years of Christian history. Only 10% of that history is filled with altar calls. Okay, I'm not saying they're bad, but I'm saying they're a tradition. Baptism is Christ's commandment. But you know, he got to a point, and we were, we were discussing this friendly. We're not enemies. We're just discussing this. And, and he said, well, Randy, don't you think that, that somebody, when they come to Christ, they need something, kind of a concrete moment, kind of a tangible moment that they can, that they can look back on and, and say that this is the moment I, I gave my life to Christ? Don't you think that people just kind of psychologically need that? And I said, and you know what? He's exactly right. We do need that. And guess what? God gave it to us. Baptism. 
And it's amazing to me how when we get into these conversations, is a sinner's prayer necessary to be saved? Is an altar call necessary to be saved? Is it all this? Is it necessary? It's amazing in all those conversations, baptism never comes up. And yet that's the means that God gave us to answer that question. It's that anchor point that we look back on and say, that's the moment I was raised to walk in newness of life. Is there a degree of separation between when we receive the gospel and when we are baptized? Yes, there is. And is that a problem? Not necessarily. Beloved, as high as I hold baptism, there's still usually about a two-week delay from you saying, I wanna be baptized and us actually baptizing you. There's usually a two-week delay there. That is just logistics, okay? Does that mean I'm afraid that you're gonna die to go and go to hell in those two weeks? No, I'm not afraid of that at all. But I want it to be as close as possible to your receiving of the word. I want it to be just as close as it can be. You know, there was no delay in the New Testament. You saw those who received the word were baptized. Uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, he received the word immediately. What's his first question? Here's water. Can I be baptized? Paul, he, he heard the gospel from Ananias. What did he do? He immediately rose up and he was baptized. There was no delay in the early church. Today, because of logistics, there, there is a delay and, and, and that's okay. But it should be as close as possible. That's why I'm not a big fan of six-month baptism classes and and, and stuff like that. We're not asking you to confirm you are a Christian. We're asking you to confess that you are a Christian. And the confirmation comes later. And so, beloved, yes, there is a, an anchor point. There is a pivotal point that we look back on and say, I remember that point. That's that tangible, concrete moment that I pledge to walk by faith in Christ. You say, well, can you prove that biblically? Actually, yes, I can. Look at Romans chapter six, just for a moment. If you know the book of Romans, you know that this is a systematic study, practically, of, of salvation. Paul's moving from justification, and then in chapter six, he moves on to this pivotal chapter in sanctification. But what does he talk about in the first three verses? Look what he says. He says, what shall we say then? Are we, continue to, are we to continue in sin that, get, that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And then notice what he brings up. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? And then he goes on in verse four and he says, those who are, were buried with him through baptism and were raised to walk in newness of life. In other words, Paul begins his most extensive discussion on holiness, pursuing holiness and sanctification and he begins it by reminding them of their baptism. And so it is that anchor point, it is that reminder that we look back to, just like my wedding ring is a reminder that I am married. Now, do I need a reminder in my head that I'm married? Usually not. But do other people need a reminder that I'm married? Again, usually not. But just in case, it's there, right? And so it is our confirmation. Paul begins, it's that anchor point. It is that sign of our faith and confidence in the Lord. Beloved, I am no longer a slave to sin. I came out of the water. I did not die. I was raised to walk in newness of life. I don't have to surrender to that addiction anymore. I came out of the water. I don't have to give in to those trespasses and sin. I'm now no longer dead in my trespasses of sin. I came out of the water. I am raised to walk in newness of life. I came out of the water. My sins are washed away. I am forgiven, clean, accepted. I am no longer who I was because I came out of the water in the same way that Christ came out of the grave. 
And because of that, I am a new person. And the sign that I recall, the sign that I remember, I am that new person, that concrete anchor point that I have to look back to when I'm tempted to sin. No, I came out of the water. I'm no longer who I used to be. So I don't have to sin anymore because I am new in Christ. And Christ came out of the grave and I have new life in him. I'm alive because Christ who came out of the grave lives in me. And I don't have to sin anymore because Christ who is holy lives in me. I have a choice and so do you. So, oh church, let's come back to that. Let's come back to that. Who are we to ignore and consider non-essential what Christ has ordained? Who are we to set aside and de-emphasize what Christ has commanded? We must come back to this. Baptism is the means by which we confess our faith because it is in it we confess that we have died in Christ and we have been raised in him. Now, again, I realize today there is usually a gap of time between receiving the word and baptism, and, and, and that's okay. That's okay. But I wanna ask you this morning, baptism is not what saves us. It is Christ who saves us. But beloved, I wanna ask you this morning, if you're here, just a, just a couple things I wanna ask, and then we're done. Number one, are you sure that you know Christ? Are you sure that you know Christ? What is your confidence in? Listen, I can give a sick person medicine without them knowing it, and they'll get better, right? But that's not how baptism works. That's why we don't baptize infants. If you got the water, but you did not get Christ, then all you got is water, and it does not make any difference. So beloved, ensure that you know Christ. If you were baptized and, and at the time you were baptized, you were not firm in the gospel, you were not sure that you knew Christ, I would say, be baptized, be baptized. Make that your confession. Don't, don't point back to a time where you weren't sure if you were saved. Come, come and express a proper confession in Christ as your savior. So I'm asking you, first of all, to ensure that you know Christ. Secondly, if you know Christ and you're sure you know Christ, but for reasons beyond your control, you have not been baptized. Maybe, maybe it's because of poor teaching in a previous church. Maybe it's just because of, I mean, there, there are reasons that that can happen, okay? Maybe, um, <clears throat> maybe you're a believer from a country that persecuted Christians and for the safety of your family, you, you didn't, but, but, but now you're here. Beloved, for whatever reason, don't delay anymore. Don't delay anymore. Obey the Lord. Be baptized. I'm asking you if, you, if you know you're a believer and you haven't been baptized for whatever reason, I'm asking you, be baptized. Let's schedule it this morning and let's do it. But thirdly, if you're here and you claim to know Christ, and, and here's the real danger. If you claim to know Christ and you're here and you're saying, I hear what you're saying, I know Jesus said to be baptized, but you know what? I just, I just really don't think it's that important. If you're here today and you claim to know Christ, but you're refusing to be baptized, I'm not gonna say that you're not saved because I don't know your heart, but the fruit is not matching your confession. And I'm not gonna be the one to give you false assurance. And if you're here this morning and you're saying that, yes, Jesus is my Lord, but I'm going to disobey him in this. Beloved, you can't call Jesus Lord and tell him no in the same sentence. That's what we call an oxymoron. It's just like saying, I don't speak a word of English. Well, I just use seven words of English to say that. It's a self-defeating argument. If you're calling Jesus Lord and telling him no, that's a self-defeating argument. Yes, you may confess one thing, but your, word, but your actions are telling a different story. And if you're here this morning and you say, I've been saved, but I have no desire to be baptized whatsoever. I've never been baptized. I'm never going to, and I don't care. 
And beloved, I'm asking you this morning, you need to check and make sure you're truly in the gospel because the deeds are telling the tale. And so whatever you need this morning, I invite you to come. Maybe you need to be reunited with the church. Baptism is connected to church membership. You're, you're coming into a communion of, of covenanted together believers. Maybe you're here this morning and you've received the word, but you have not confessed it in baptism. Or maybe you're here this morning, you're realizing that, you know, I have no reason to be baptized because I haven't been saved, but I wanna be. Whatever the case is, I invite you to come and be, and be found in Christ. That is what saves you, not the act of going in the water. Not the act of going in the water, but only faith alone in Christ alone. So are we clear? Uh, I, I don't wanna confuse anyone. Is baptism required? Yes. But is what baptism saves you? No. Baptism is the confession of our salvation. And if you have not been baptized, then according to the New Testament, you have not confessed that you are a Christian. And so we want you to do that this morning. Our Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your love and your patience for us. Lord, I, I, I stand in front of your people this morning acknowledging that I was one who came to know Christ as my Savior, and yet it took me about six months or so before I was baptized in my confession. And even then, I really didn't understand it. I didn't understand why I was being baptized, but Lord, I thank you for your grace that you worked through even my misgivings and misunderstandings. And this morning, Lord, I pray if there's one here that maybe they don't know you as Savior, whatever the case may be, we, we pray that today would be, you would draw them to yourself. And Lord, if there's one here who have, they have received the gospel, they believe it, they, they've confessed with their mouth, but Lord, they have not confessed in baptism. I pray that they would come. Lord, if there's one here who is refusing to be baptized, I pray you would convict them this morning. It may not be that they're unsaved, but they are certainly showing the fruits of a non-Christian. So Lord, whatever the need is, we pray you would work through these feeble words of mine this morning and that you would act for your sake and your people. Let's stand together and let's sing this final song together. If you're here this morning, you need to come for any reason. If you need to be baptized, we wanna set that up. But whatever the need is, you come this morning. Let's sing together. Have your own way.